Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn me to the book of Titus. We're going to be in Titus chapter 3 this morning, kind of continuing with our, our series on Christmas. And as you're turning there, do you, ever let, do you ever let the thought of the impossible keep you from praying for something that seems impossible? I just, that song is such a great reminder for us that sometimes God just, sometimes we just need to pray for something. Because some of you are sitting here this morning and you were the impossible. You know what I'm saying? Like your situation or your coming to Christ was just an impossible thing that someone was praying for and yet here we are this morning. So we serve a God that specializes in doing the impossible. With man, it may be impossible. With God, all things are possible. Titus chapter 3. Can you remember, well, let me put it this way. I, there, are, there are times when we meet people, when people appear in our lives, there, there are moments that we never forget. Um, you know, for me, I can remember the first time I ever laid eyes on Ashley. Uh, I can remember what she was wearing. I can remember what we were doing. I can remember where we were at. I can remember so many minor, I can't remember what I wore last Sunday to church, but I can remember 15, almost 15 years ago, the first time I laid eyes on her. I can remember the first time, I, I can remember seeing my, my children for the first time. I can remember Aniston when, when Ashley first delivered her, and, and I, I can remember the cries, and I can remember the black hair. And, and I remember Eric and, and, and the head full of hair he had and, and the redness of it and uh, I, you know, you just remember those things. I can remember many of you who are here on that Labor Day weekend in, in, in 2009, first time I ever stepped foot in this church. I just come to preach, and I can remember your faces, and I can remember, uh, it's just amazing. I just, you, you just remember those things, and, and there are times, if we're not careful, we, we tend to just not think, like, we just don't think about it, you know? We just, these people appear in our lives, and when we stop and think about their appearance in our lives, it changes everything, and we, and we begin to, to, to remember things that maybe we otherwise uh, would have forgotten. And one of those, th that idea of appearing has just stuck with me for the last several weeks. And, and in Titus chapter 3, Paul, Paul writes some words uh, beginning in, in verse 4 that just, it, when I read them, I just couldn't get away from them. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful this morning as we are celebrating this season that has been set aside for us to remember uh, your appearing to us. Lord, as we read the scriptures of Mary giving birth to you and wrapping you in cloths and lying you in a manger because there was no room for you in the end, in the, in the end, to, to the gospel accounts of watching you burst on the scene and turning water into wine and the, the miracles and the, the impossible things that that no one thought could be done, and yet you did them with ease. And Father, today we are 
partakers of that. Maybe the greatest miracle that, that ever existed was when a person has the opportunity to come to faith in you and to be forgiven of their sins and be given new life in a relationship with you. And the work that you do, that, that old is gone and the new that has been created in us. Father, we thank you that you appear to us even today, 2,000 years after your birth, that you still appear to your people. And so God, I pray that, that as we read and study your word this morning, that we would be reminded of, of when you appeared to us, when your truth appeared to us. We can look back and think of that time when we surrendered our lives to you or when that truth began to, to manifest itself in us. And God, we're thankful today that we still have that opportunity for that, for that regeneration and for that renewal that takes place in the hearts and lives of those who have placed their faith and trust in you. So Father, we pray this morning that as we celebrate you, as we learn about you, as we worship you today, God, that you would just, that your Holy Spirit would just move in our midst and be our teacher and our guide through the text today. And that God, you would give us the words that we stand in need of, for it's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I, I, that whole, this whole idea kind of goes back to the, 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 when we started this around Thanksgiving, this, this idea of, of the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we spent some time in, in Titus chapter two when Paul writes, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And again, he, he reiterates that in chapter three, verse four, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our savior appeared. And you know, I got to thinking about this whole idea, you know, again, of this appearing, the first time Ashley appeared in my life, the first time Aniston and Eric appeared in my life. But, it, but the thing that never grows dim in me is that first time that the Lord appeared in my life. And I can remember we lived up in Lynn Creek, Missouri, and we weren't five minutes from the Big Surf water park up there. And we lived in this old house that looked like a, looked like a barn. It was painted up like a barn, looked like a barn, sometimes smelled like a barn. But I can remember being in that, and we went to a little independent Baptist church right on what's now Business 5. It was, it was on the south end of town back when the highway ran through that south end of town. And, 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 I, can rem and I remember, Ashley, we had just moved up here, and we were going to the lake, and we drove by that church and just had flashbacks of vacation Bible schools and Sunday schools and children's churches there. And I remember one night just laying in my bed and my, my bed kind of adjoined through a hallway, my, my parents' bedroom. I remember in, being in bed and I was about kindergarten age and I can remember just having this overwhelming feeling of knowing that I needed to be saved. And I, I, I laid in that bed that night and I'd heard the teachers lead, you know, lead us in the Lord's Prayer so I knew what to pray and I just prayed and I, I got up and I, I walked to my mom and dad's room and woke my dad up and I said, dad, I think I just got saved and then but I can remember that. I can remember that time when, when it felt like the Lord Jesus himself appeared to me and was just, it just was, and I, I cannot understand it. I can remember the, 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 the next time I really felt like that happened was, was in college and, and, and I had gotten away from the Lord. I wasn't living for him. And, and when, when Paul is talking about this idea of the, uh, that, 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 that God, the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he's talking about this kind of twofold appearance. I think he's hearkening back one to the, 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 this, this, what we're celebrating now, that when Jesus came to the earth, when God became flesh, when the word became flesh, 
and dwelt among us. In that moment when Jesus was birthed and when he appeared on this earth, everything changed. I was listening to a Christmassy song this morning on the way in on one of the local Christian radio stations. And it was talking about how when Jesus was born, like the earth stood still. I mean, literally everything changed the moment Jesus came to this earth. And then Paul, I think in, a, in another light, and, and these aren't you know, separate things, it's either one or the other, it's both of them. So he's looking back to when Christ appeared, but I think Paul's even looking back and, and he's remembering when God appeared to him on that road to Damascus. When that bright light shone, and in that moment, he knew who the living God was. He knew who Jesus was. See, up until that time, he knew who the living God was, but he was persecuting Christians who believed in this man named Jesus, that Jesus was the Son of God. Until that moment, when the grace and the mercy and the, and the loving kindness of God, the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared to, 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 to Paul, and I think he's got all this in mind when, he's, when he writes these words to us. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, and I'm sure many of us can, can stop and think when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared to us. We celebrate the time when he was born and he came into this earth, but there was a time in our lives and, and, and there will be a time in all of our lives when the truth of God appears to us in a way maybe we've never experienced it before. When the truth of God appears to us in that moment, we, everything solidifies and all the pieces fall into place and all the questions we had, they begin to get answered and all we know is that Jesus is who Jesus says he was. But there's an interesting three-letter word that, that, Timothy, or that Paul uses in the beginning of this verse, in verse four, he says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, and then he says in verse five, he saved us. Now it's easy for us to kind of gloss over as we just, in, in just a casual reading of scripture, for us to just kind of gloss over that. Well, yeah, he saved us. And man, that's good and that's great. But think about this. Had he not come, we could not have been saved. In fact, look at verse three, because verse three kind of gives us our condition. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Certainly no way any of us would, would want to choose to live our lives and then he says, but, and so there's this contrast. Says, this is what was going on with us. We were in bad shape. We could, and, and there was nothing we could do for ourselves. But when, the, with the, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. He saved us out of our foolishness, our disobedience, our being led astray, our slavery to the various passions and pleasures. He saves us from passing our days in malice and envy and hated by others and hating one another. He saves us. And then he goes on and he adds to it. He, he saves us. Look what he says in verse five. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. So he says, listen, you aren't saved because of things you have done. 
I think sometimes this is, this is kind of what we, what, if we're not careful, what tends to happen. It happens in the Christian life. It happens with those that, that are, we're trying to lead to the Lord. We say, well, we're just, you know, well, we're good people. We're good people. And there are a lot of good people. But there's also a whole lot of good people who need Jesus. Because it's not our goodness that gets us into heaven. Our badness keeps us out. And it doesn't matter how good we are and how many good things we do, there's still those bad things that we do that keep us from, 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 from Christ, that, get, that separate us from Christ. And there's not enough good. It's not a cosmic scale where it's like, well, if you do enough good stuff, it outweighs the bad. And, and we know people that, that still, like they, they feel like there's some, something in them that they need to earn their salvation. It is fully, from start to finish, our salvation is a work of Christ. From beginning, from the moment we start feeling led to the Lord, it's the enabling Holy, it's the enabling grace of God that makes us aware of our sin, makes us aware of our need for a savior, to the saving work of Christ, to the, to the sanctification that comes after that. It's all a work of Jesus from start to finish. And so we, we trust him, we lean on him for that. And so we, 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 it's nothing that we do. It wasn't not because of our righteousness. It's not because of our goodness, but because, what the, what's the writer say later on there? He says, but according to his, his, his own mercy. And so salvation is not possible for us. Had Jesus not became flesh, had Jesus not come to this earth, it wouldn't be possible if Jesus didn't appear to us. We need to understand this morning that Christ pursues us. We don't wake up one morning and say, well, you know what? Man, my life's a train wreck. Or man, I've, I've got to get some things together. Boy, I'm just, I've just done some bad things and, 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 and I need to get those things made right. I think I'm going to get saved today. I think I'm going to go to church today. I think I'm going to call out on the name of Jesus and ask him to forgive me. Most of us don't wake up one day like that. Like there is a process to our salvation where maybe we're made aware of our, our, our sin and our, our shortcomings, or, or, or you know, we just find ourselves at some point in a, in a, in a, with a discontentment with, with, with where life is at, or there's just something that we know, it's like a sandpaper on our soul, there's a friction there that we just, we're have, we can't come to terms with, we don't understand what's going on in our life and why these things are happening and why these things are taking place, and why there's this holy discontent, and we, they, we wouldn't call it that, but why there's this discontent in our life. But it leads us on a, on a search, and that search will ultimately end in Jesus if we will open up ourselves to the possibility that Jesus is exactly who Jesus claims to be. And we talked about that in our first week, that he is indeed, as Peter proclaimed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we've got to understand that. So Jesus said, you know, or Paul writes, and he's, he's giving this testimony, but the goodness and, and, the, and, and the loving kindness of, of God our Savior appeared. And he saves us, not because of our own righteousness, but because of his mercy. And then he gives a couple of things that he does for us. He says, by the washing of regeneration. Now, now, we've had baptisms the last month. Now, this washing that he's talking about is not baptism. He's not referring to baptism. He's not looking back on baptism. Baptism is, is purely an outward, uh, an outward action 
of, a, of an in, what, God, what God has done in us inward. It's an outward profession of an inward decision. When we step into that water, we are already saved. But this idea that, that Paul is conveying to us is kind of what he's talking about in Ephesians when he says, when he's talking about being washed by the water of the word, that it is a spiritual cleansing that takes place by, through, the, through Christ's sacrifice and the Holy Spirit, that it is a spiritual cleansing that washes us and regenerates us, gives us new life. And Paul talks about that new life. We see it in 2 Corinthians when he says, you know, that you know, when we receive Christ, the, the old is gone, the new has come. We're not the old creature anymore. We're something altogether new. And it changes us. This heart of stone that we once had has now become a soft heart, a heart of flesh. And so he gives us this, 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 this regeneration, a washing, a washing, a regeneration, new spiritual life. But, but also in addition to that, look what he says. He says, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And we've been talking about this for a, for a while because we spent uh, quite a few weeks in Romans chapter 12 but that same word that Paul uses in, in Romans chapter 12, when he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it's the same word that he's using right here. So there's this renewal that, that takes place, this, this process of renewing through the Holy Spirit, of, 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 of moving from what we used to be, what, what Paul says in, in Titus, you know, the, that we are, ourselves were once foolish, disobedience, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating others. We're moving from that into what Christ would have us to be. And it is a renewal process. There are some things about us that change immediately upon salvation. Oftentimes, you know, they, they say, I heard someone say not too long ago, um, Something about the difference between a saved person and an unsaved person isn't sin itself, but rather the reaction to sin. You see, the saved and the unsaved both deal with sin. The difference is the, that the saved person reacts to sin and responds to sin in a much different way. That we respond to it in repentance and the seeking of forgiveness and, 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 and correcting that and turning our back to our sin and our face to the Lord Jesus of being renewed person who doesn't know Christ doesn't see anything wrong with their actions. And so there's that, that difference there. And so for us, it's this process of renewal. We could use another uh, uh, theological term, this sanctification, the process of being set apart, the work that the Holy Spirit does in us as we read our Bibles, as we pray, as we worship collectively, as we meet in Sunday school classes, as we meet in small groups outside the church, as we meditate on God's word, the work that the Holy Spirit does through those things and helping us to live lives that honor the Lord Christ and, and, and that will lead others to a saving relationship with him. All that process, God works in us because of his mercy, the regeneration, this giving us new life in Christ, and this process of renewal all takes place through the Holy Spirit. I think it's interesting in this passage, you see in verse four, you see the, the word God our Savior appears. Then you're seeing the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and let's keep reading because something happens. Whom, look what he says, whom, so it's referring back to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person whom, the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through 
Jesus Christ. So we see all three parts of the Trinity working together in the life of the believer whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior. Now I read something this week and it, it, it was on Facebook and it was so good, but a man named Tim Keller, a, a pastor, a writer, theologian, he wrote this. He says, the good news of the gospel is that God sees us as is, accepts us as is, loves us as is, and yet by his grace never leaves us as is. Is that not a beautiful thought? That he takes us as we are, he loves us as we are, but he does not leave us as we are. And some of you were saved out of some stuff. I was saved out of some stuff. And man, I'm grateful that God did not leave me like I was. That he wants to do a work in us. And, and, and Paul alludes to that. If you skip down to verse, uh, verse 8 of Titus chapter 3, he says, The saying is trustworthy, and I want to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things, these good works, these things are excellent and profitable for people. And then he says, then he contrasts, again, that three-letter word, but avoid. He says, I want you to stay away from this stuff. And he's specific to the people that he's writing to in Titus. He says, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and, and dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. And so what Paul's saying and telling us is there are some things that we need to be devoted to, these good works that are, that are profitable and excellent for us. But we've got to be careful to not be devoted to these other things. And there's these things that we must avoid because they are not profitable and they are destructive to our hearts and our lives. And so, so we've, got, we've got to understand that there's a, that, that separation there. But this idea of him not leaving us as is, and he's telling Titus, listen, there are things that we need to pursue, and there's things that we must avoid. And that's the process here of the Holy Spirit working in us and helping us to recognize that there are things that we need to pursue, and there's things that we need to avoid. And oftentimes, we can get those things confused, we can think, especially as men, we can think that there, we've, we've, there are things that we must do because you know, one of our callings as men is provide for our families. And so there are times that we sacrifice the good things, the profitable things, the excellent things. We sacrifice those on the, on the, on the, on the altar of our, of our careers or our jobs. And we do that with all kinds of things. If we're not careful, we sacrifice as parents what is good and what is profitable. We sacrifice those on the, what we would call the altars of our children, where they become, our children become the objects of our worship. We do everything for them, and we do everything with it, if, you know, to them. We do everything for them, and there's nothing else. Like, it's just our kids. Everything else takes a back seat to our children. There are all kinds of things that we allow to come into our lives that replace Christ on the throne. And we, we take Christ off and we place something else on there. And we pursue that and we pursue that. And the things that are profitable, the things that are excellent for us, those things that we are to pursue, we lay aside. And we seek after those things that are, that are not profitable. That, and I'm not saying our kids aren't profitable. I'm not saying our careers aren't profitable. 
But I'm saying in God's economy, he looks at things in a different light than what we look at. It's not about dollars and signs. It's not about what ball team my kid is good enough to get on. Because I'll be honest with you, in God's economy, this, he would much rather see things like this taking place and children coming to a saving relationship with Christ Jesus than being on the regional sports all-star team at seven years old. And we're proud of him, no doubt about it. But the things sometimes we sacrifice are an opportunity to see this take place when we're off running around doing other things that aren't maybe quite as, they're just not as, they're not profitable. They're not the things God would have us be pursuing as his children. And in this process of regeneration and, and renewal, there are times that maybe we need to take a step back in our lives and we need to examine what our priorities are and not what we think they are because sometimes what we write down on a sheet of paper, these are my top three priorities and maybe yours would say, well, my number one priority, man, man it's God and then it's my, my family and then it's you know, whatever else comes down the list. But if we take a step back and we begin looking at our calendars, we've been looking at our checkbooks, we begin looking at all these other indicators of what really are our priorities in life, what we begin to discover is that God really isn't that priority. Instead of being one on the list, he's fallen to maybe like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And we just kind of fit him in where it's convenient for us. And then we wonder why that peace evades us and why joy evades us and why comfort evades us and why contentment evades us because we're not pursuing those things that are profitable and good. And we're pursuing things. We get what Satan, or what, what's the, this how the old saying go, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And I'd say we live in a culture today that he's done a really good job of making us busy. We were talking just, you know, just little things, innocent things, innocent things that we just get busy with. We just get busy with. But just, just that, this whole idea for the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. And he saved us, not because of anything we did, but because of his mercy. And he has washed us. And he has given us new life. And he's in the process of renewing us and making us more like him. Why? What's, what's the good works thing? What, 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 what benefit does that have? Well, I want you to think about it like this. He says there's the regeneration and the renewal that takes place, and those are internal things, right? Those are things that God does on the inside. But the practical application is when God changes us on the inside, things change on the outside too. And when things change on the outside, other people can't help but notice. They're going to notice that, and they're going to notice simple things at first. You're not using the language you used to use, or maybe you're smiling more than you used to smile. Or maybe there's a, a lightness to the way that you're carrying yourself. You're no longer hunched over, and, and maybe there's a physical manifestation of 
this renewal and regeneration that manifests itself in us. That we're not walking, you know, in a, in a haughty manner, but we are walking in a freer manner. People begin noticing that in our lives. Kids begin noticing the way that it's changing the way that we parent. That our love for, love for them has grown to a new depth because we all of a sudden understand the love that Christ has for us. That our spouses see the change in us. Why? Because now all of a sudden we've been exposed to this new love that Christ has for us. And hopefully we are taking that love and pouring it into the lives of our spouse and our spouses begin to notice, man, there's something, man, there's something going on here. Like I can't, under, I don't get this. What has happened? I'm not complaining, but what's happened? Because there's this outward manifestation. People see that. And then what's it caused them to do? It caused them to ask some questions. Man, we've noticed, man, you've just been kind of floating through like something good. You win the lottery. Did you, you know, what's been going on? You say, man, I met Jesus. And everything has changed. The goodness and loving kindness of God, my Savior, has appeared to me. Now, it's not going to be a manifestation where, you know, the sky parts and the sun shines and, and, and you're blinded for a temporary time like maybe Paul was. But I'll tell you, when the, when the, when the goodness and loving God, kindness appeared to me, I knew exactly what was happening. And I wasn't living for him, but I knew exactly what was taking place in that moment because there's nothing else like it. And for some of us, man, God, God may be appearing to us this morning, drawing us back to him. For those of God may be appearing to us, and today is like the, the, final, like the final nails going in, like all of a sudden, all like the questions and, and, and maybe the thoughts you've been having and maybe some things you've been like, well, I know I need to be saved, but like maybe today is that day when like everything, it just kind of falls into place and you know that you need to be saved. Maybe for others of us, man, we've kind of pumped the brakes on this renewal process and we kind of got to a point because here's what we do. We get to a point where like things are okay and we're happy. Things are better and so we're happy, but, but we haven't allowed God to do in us fully what God desires to do in us. You know what I'm saying? Like we let things get to a certain point where, man, things are so much better than they were. They may be so much better, but they aren't all that God wants them to be yet. And we aren't all that God wants us to be yet. And so it may just be, Lord, I know that I need to just surrender to this process of renewing in my life. But here's the thing that I want, I just want us to remember, the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior has appeared. 2,000 years ago, it appeared to the virgin, he appeared to the Virgin Mary, who was wrapped in swallowing clothes and lied in, lied in a manger, and laid in a manger. And one of my favorite passages in, in all the, the, the nativity scriptures is the one that, that Luke writes in Luke chapter two. And it's in, the, it's in, in Luke chapter two that, that, that Jesus has been born in verses six and seven. He's been wrapped, he's laid in a manger. The angels go and visit the, go and visit the, uh, the, the shepherds out in the fields. And they come and they're, they're talking about, telling about the angels and they're worshiping Jesus. And there's a, there's a, a, a verse in there that says something along the lines, and, and, and Mary took all these things and treasured them and pondered them in her heart. All these little puzzle pieces that she was taking and she was kind of putting them in a basket and she was thinking about the significance of all these things that were taking place. And for us, 
It's taking and treasuring the appearance of the Lord, his appearance in, in our lives. And it's, it's pondering those things of him and where he would lead us. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning.